Welcome, City Life. Um, excited to be here tonight and uh, get to share a word that, uh, that's been just stirring in my heart for some time. So I'm excited about that. But before we jump in uh, to that, we wanted to make sure to honor someone very special here tonight. So is Malcolm here? Malcolm Jones. You don't have to stand. You can just kind of wave your hands if... <laughs> If you don't know Malcolm, um, Malcolm, many of you may have heard that he is uh, newly engaged to, to an incredible woman of God, and we wish that she wasn't, so we can advise him not to go, right? Um, but she's awesome, and uh, she just so happens to live in Baltimore, and so, which means that eventually he'll have to uh, uh, move there as well. And so, uh, just to transition. Uh, he's stepping down from some areas of leadership that he's been in for some time. Uh, he's been a part of the campus directors team here at City Life, and which is uh, towards the middle of those concentric circles. So you know that's a big commitment. Uh, and, uh, and also just has been heading up the, uh, um, the Saturday Life team and college young professionals. Uh, he was one of our first core leaders in the CYP group when Hannah and I were just starting out with the group, so it's especially hard for us um, to see him transition out, but we're so excited for what's gonna happen uh, for him in the future. So really, he's not moving yet, and we're not gonna pray over him tonight, but we just wanted to let you know that he's transitioning out of those um, places of leadership to kinda uh, make a transition for the rest of his life. So could you, could you give a round of applause for Malcolm for all he's done at City Life? That's good. And if you know Malcolm, you know he hates that. He's like, oh gosh. Um, well, awesome. We're, we're gonna jump in uh, to this sermon tonight called How to Love. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Luke chapter 10, verse 25. If you don't, it's all right, because it's 2017. And we have the verse on the screen for you uh, to read here with us. But in Luke chapter 10, Verse 25, if you're there, give me some snaps. I love snaps. I tell my RCers to uh, do that on Wednesday night. So, so many of you just lied right now. You are not at Luke 10. It's all right. Luke chapter 10, verse 25, it says, One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? Can't blame him from that, right? And so Jesus replied with the story, a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, everybody say, by chance. By chance, by chance a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked. Everybody say, looked. Looked, looked at him lying there. But he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion. One last time, everybody, compassion, compassion for him. Let's pray. Father God, thank you uh, 
for what you wanna do tonight, Father. I pray that you, you speak to me uh, and that you speak through me, God. I pray that you uh, soften our hearts and open our ears to what you have to say. I pray that I only say what you wanna say. And, and Lord, I pray that you, you teach us tonight how to love and how to love better. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So happy uh, February, happy love month. How many of you guys had uh, enjoyed your Valentine's Day just this last week, right? Uh, or as one of my RCers called it this past Wednesday, Singles Awareness Day. So if you're single out there, you still have a holiday on that day. It's fine. Um, yeah, I, Hannah and I, we, we uh, totally enjoyed our Valentine's Day. We are... Uh, parent of a beautiful one and a half year old. And so uh, when we do go out, we don't go out for very long. And so we have an amazing uh, babysitter. Shout out to Katie Walls, who, uh, who watched Selah for us for some hours. And so we went to like several places. We went to go to dinner and to see a movie. And Hannah turned to me and she was like, this is the second whole place we've been to tonight on this date. Like, we're just not, we don't get out much, right, without our daughter. And so we had a great time, but we were sitting over dinner and we were just talking about how long we've been together. And uh, for us, we've been married for five years, uh, dating for eight, right? So together for eight. And, uh, and so we were just talking about that, but looking across the room on Valentine's Day, those of you who are out there, it's so funny because every single table has a couple at it, right? And every single table, each couple is at a different stage in their relationship. And you know the ones who are, you know, new because there's like this awkwardness that's just like emanating from their table when you're, when you're, you're newly together and you don't know each other all that well. And what's especially awkward in that season uh, is when you're trying to figure out when to drop the L-bomb. You guys who have been married or who are married or who have said I love you to your significant other, you, can anyone agree with me that that's pretty awkward? It can get pretty awkward and complicated. Well, how do I say it? You see all these super handsome dudes in the movies like doing it with fireworks and how, how am I gonna do it? And what is being in love anyway? And what does that mean? And how will I know when I'm in it? And, and so all of that. So I asked Hannah, I said, <laughs> at dinner, I said, do you remember? The first time I said, I love you to you, and she looked at me, she said, I'm so sorry, but I don't. <laughs> and I, I said, don't be sorry, because I know that it was awkward. I, I, I hardly remember it, but I know my hands must have been shaking, and uh, uh, my mouth must have been dry, and I must have been, it must, I'm sure it was awkward. Um, but as, 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 so there's a lot, right, in our in our romantic relationships, there's a, there's a lot riding on the word love in those. But I would say even more so in our spiritual lives that there's even more riding on this word love. First John uh, chapter four, verses seven through nine. Not gonna read it, but uh, just the, the, the summary is God is love, right? The Bible tells us that God is love. And so uh, uh, as you're defining love, whatever your understanding of love is, that's your understanding of God, right? And so there's a lot riding on this word love when it comes to your understanding of God. Uh, John 13, verses 34 through 35, it says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So your definition of love affects the way that you see and understand God and your definition of love affects the way that you see uh, and understand what it means to, to be a disciple, to be a follower of Christ, right? There's a lot 
riding on this word love. The difficult thing, though, is that love is a complicated word, especially in, with our language and our culture. In the Sanskrit, there's 96 words for love, right? In Arabic, there are at least 20 words. In Greek, there are four. And so for all of those nuanced definitions of love, those nuanced uh, uh, understandings of love, in our language, we just have one word, right? So I can say I love pizza and I I love my daughter and I love my wife and all of those are kind of different kinds of loves, but we just have one word for it. So it causes confusion. So one one of my favorite books to read and I, I try to read this every few years just so that I can, I can refresh my mind and, uh, about what, what this word love means. It's uh, The Four Loves by C.S. Lewis. And uh, C.S. Lewis is one of my favorite authors, and, uh, and this is one of my favorite books. But he breaks love down into four categories. Um, they're really, the, the four categories are those four Greek words for love. And uh, the first of these uh, that we're going to, uh, I'm just going to mention tonight is Eros, right? So, so it's that romantic, sexual kind of love. It's how a person loves their spouse, how a person loves their, their husband or their wife. And then there's friendship, which means companionship or camaraderie. And that's obviously how a person loves their friend, right? And then there's, there's charity. Now, in our language, we've cheapened this word charity because to us, charity just means like the change, like the spare change you throw in a bucket, right? But, but this word charity is actually like the, the best and, and, and most uh, supernatural of loves. Charity is that word in the Greek agape, right? And, and so it, it means the word or it means the, the way that God can love us. It's, it's a God type of love. If there was a scale, right, charity, agape love would be like all the way I'm not going to do it, but all the way, like all, all the way on this side of the room on the scale. Charity is over here at the top, right? And so charity, it's the supernatural, agape, supernatural God love, the way that God loves us. And so tonight we're going to talk about the fourth love and, and, and focus on that, which is affection. And so if, if charity Agape is supernatural love all the way on that end of the scale, then, then affection is all the way over here on this end of the spectrum, right? Affection is like a fondness or appreciation for, right? It's also familial love. Eros is, is how you love your spouse, friendship, how you love a friend. Uh, affection is how you love the rest of the world, right? So C.S. Lewis says this about it. It's the humblest and most widely diffused of loves. The love in which our experience seems to differ least from that of the animals. And so that's kind of the love we're working with and we're going to focus on tonight. But, but even with those definitions, even breaking it down, love is still a complicated word and there's still so much riding on it. And I would say, as much as there is riding on love in our culture, as in, in, in our time as 21st century Christians, there, from the perspective of this man who comes to see Jesus, there's even more riding on it for him. At the beginning of our text in Luke chapter 10, verse 25, there's a, uh, your your translation might call him a lawyer, right? There's this lawyer who comes up to Jesus with a question and, and 
lawyer isn't like our lawyer who, who you know, they battle you in court. This lawyer was an expert in religious law. He was, he was like fanatical about the religious law. He was that guy in class that you didn't like, right, who always had their hand up because he either had a question or an answer to a question, right? And, uh, and so he comes to Jesus with a question, surprise, surprise, because uh, he's all about the textbooks and, and, and understanding the law more. And so he, he, he goes to Jesus and he says, hey, Jesus, I, I've been studying and, and I'm trying to figure out how do you inherit eternal life? And so, and Jesus says, well, I see your you know, pocket protector and your glasses and all the scrolls underneath your arm. You, you look like you're a learned guy. What, what does the Bible say to you? What have you learned in your studies about what it means to inherit eternal life? And so he says, well, it, it says to love your, the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, and to love uh, your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus is like, great, you did a, a great job and kind of moves on. But, but the guy's like, no, I who is my neighbor? I'm trying to, I'm trying to specify who, who exactly is my neighbor. I think a lot of times we and preachers give this guy slack because uh, we think he's just trying to get out of it, right? He's trying not to, to love, but if you understand the word that he uses in his conversation with Jesus, you begin to understand why he's asking. The kind of love that, that he uses uh, in response to Jesus' question, in order to inherit eternal life, you have to love the Lord your God with all your might. It's this charity kind of love. And love, supernaturally, a God kind of love, you have to love your neighbor. And so the guy's like, that's crazy, right? That's, that's a, 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 a crazy expectation for people. So surely there's got to be like a narrow uh, understanding of who deserves that kind of love, right? And so Jesus does something awesome. Jesus does what he often does in the gospels. He does not answer directly or simply. Uh, he answers in layers, right? He answers with a story. And, uh, and, and his story does not answer the question, who do I love? Instead, it answers the question, how to love, and rather than illustrating charity love, the supernatural kind of love, his story illustrates affection, this base, common kind of love. It was like Jesus was saying, you think you're, you're ready for that kind of love? If you, if you want to love like that, let me just take you all the way back to the basics, right? Uh, let's talk about how to love at the most basic level, affection love, right? And so Jesus never uses the Greek word storge that C.S. Lewis uses for affection, but there's some clues within this story that help us understand this is, in fact, the kind of basic, uh, instinctive, uh, common love that Jesus is talking about. So, so the first clue that we get is in verse 31, where it says, by chance. Everybody say, by chance. So by chance... A priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, <clears throat> he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. Anybody in here have a comfort toy or a comfort object when you were a kid? Yeah, just so name, start like naming things that, that you were attached to as a kid. A blankie, what else was it? A teddy bear, okay. Anything else? Any? 
Binkies, pacifiers, anybody attached to a pacifier? What were the names of those things? Did you have a name for your attachment object? Scruff McGruff. Y'all are quiet because everyone's like, no, I'm grown, right? I didn't have a name for my teddy bear. He was just, no, y'all had names. Any other ones, embarrassing ones? Murky Lurky. I love the rhyming. That's awesome. Scruff McGruff, Murky Lurky. Okay, awesome. Well, I have mine here today. And this, this, shout out to my mom. Mom, can you wave for the people? Shout out to my mom because this is Willoughby. He does have a name. I'm not ashamed to say it, right? Uh, And and, uh, so she kept Willoughby all of these years and had him in in our attic. And so I took him uh, after college not to like put in my bed with me, right? But just to to save. (laughs) And uh, so I had him. and, uh, And so when we got married... Uh, I, you know, he was in storage or whatever. And, and so when we had Selah, I, I found him in the attic and I was so pumped. I came down and I was like, Hannah, look, it's Willoughby. She's like, all right, cool. <laughs> um, I'm so excited because I, I can give Willoughby my, my toy, my special, uh, 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 I don't even know what this is, right? My special fluff uh, to our daughter, Selah. And she looked at me like, no, you're not, <laughs> right? That thing is full of cobwebs and dust and it's grimy and it smells and its eyes are crooked, right? Like you get that thing away from her, right? So, so Willoughby spent some time uh, away from Selah for a long time and then finally Hannah gave in. But it turns out that Selah doesn't care about Willoughby, right? This is Selah's uh, toy right here. His name is Boots. And uh, I'm an awful dad because I snuck this out of the house today without her knowing and... Uh, I don't know how she napped without Boots, but, um, but this is Boots. And the way that Hannah feels about Willoughby is the way I feel about Boots. Boots, if you know anything about the Godwins, we are not animal people. Uh, and uh, this looks way too real to me, right? It, it looks, the fur looks way too much like an actual cat. It was a hand-me-down, so it didn't smell good when we got it. And if you listen closely, like, can you hear it smell. I mean, it actually sounds like a cat. So, like, that's disgusting to me, right? Boots. But, but that was that. That is Selah's attachment toy, right? That's her comfort object. So, if I were to to ask you, well, how did you come to be attached? How did you come to love your your blankie or your scruff McGruff, right? When, When was the exact moment? What was the reason why? Probably most of us wouldn't have a reason, right? It was just there. I don't know. It was the the first toy my mom got me or just the one that I was drawn to. And so we all would say that we were drawn to these objects by chance, right? Just kind of happened to, 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 because it was there, we grew an affection for it. C.S. Lewis says about affection, we can sometimes point to the very day, an hour when we fell in love or began a new relationship. I doubt if we ever catch affection beginning. To become aware of it is to become aware that it has already been going on for some time. What he's saying is when, when we grow affection for a, an object or a person, when we, when we have a fondness or appreciation, it just, it happens, right? It's by chance. It just, it, it, it's instinctive. It comes by nature. So back to our story. We have a priest 
who by chance happens to see a man naked, beaten, left for dead. And not only does he fail to agapeo him, not only does he fail to love him with the kind of supernatural God love that, that we're called to, but, but he doesn't even have the affection love for him, right? He, he should have at least, because he was there by chance, had some sort of uh, uh, compassion. His heart should have had some sort of sensitivity, but instead he continues to walk on by. It's easy for us to judge the priest's character from the outside looking in, but what if someone were looking into your life? Who are the people on the margins of your story? The people who are there by chance, right? Who happen to be there, your barista, right? Your, your uh, desk neighbor, at work, uh, uh, the, the, the person who drives your bus, right? Your teacher, your, your, your mom, your dad, your brothers, your sisters. I think it's interesting that, that C.S. Lewis categorizes um, uh, this kind of, of, of familial love with the kind of love that we have for our stuffed animals, right? In our culture, we kind of elevate family love and we think of it as, as this really strong like special kind of love, but, but he says it's really the same thing. You, you, you love the people in your family because they're the people who are around, right? They're the ones who are there by chance. And, and so all of these people you have in your life, if, if someone were to look in at the way that you treat your brother or your sister or your cousin or your barista or whoever, fill in the blank, right? Would, would they see an affectionate response the people who happen to be in our lives can be the easiest, but also the hardest to love. I, find, I think that's interesting too in families. I feel like, uh, and, and as I was just preparing this, was thinking about, uh, uh, there could be people in this room who you've been thinking, I, I feel like I've been put in the wrong family. Right, no one's like me, I'm different from them, or, or maybe there's some people in my family who are, who are hard to love. I feel, uh, but that's not how, how that kind of love works, right? And God doesn't put you in your family based on characteristics or merit, right? You're there by chance. And just because you don't, uh, aren't like them or, or, or just because uh, you haven't invited them into your family doesn't mean you get to not love them. You follow? And so the people who happen to be in our lives can be the easiest but also the hardest to love just because they aren't in your life by choice doesn't give you the right to deny your affection. So the first uh, clue that Jesus is talking about affection, love, is his use of the word by chance. The second is his use of the word looked. Everybody say looked. So looked is... Uh, is in this passage in verse 32. It says, a temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. The, the Greek word for this word look is the word harao, uh, which means to stare at, to discern clearly, to perceive, to experience. This was not a kind of like peripheral, mechanical kind of vision or sight that 
the, uh, the, the temple assistant saw this man. He looked, he saw, he fully comprehended and understood his needs. And yet it says he continued to walk on by. So I have a, a question for you in here tonight. Who, um, who can't stand traffic? You hate traffic. When I was wooing my wife, we played, we, one of the things I did to kind of get to know her, yeah, I, I use the word woo. Um, wooed my boo, right? Oh, okay. Uh, one of the things uh, that I did to, you guys were supposed to give me snaps. I, had, I gave RC like cues for when it, stuff was good. Um, well, one of the things I did, we, we would play, you know, would you rather? And so uh, I would text her, you know, in the beginning of the day or at some point in the day, uh, would you rather this or that? And so one time I asked, would you, rather, um, would you rather be stuck in traffic or be lost? And her answer was lost. And my, an- no, her answer was stuck in traffic. My answer was lost. I would rather be lost in Antarctica naked, right, than be, than be stuck in traffic on 64. I, I cannot stand it. So again, all of those people, that was a huge sidetrack, but all of those people who, who said that you can't stand, you hate, you hate traffic, put your hand back up, be honest because you're in the house of God, right? He knows and will strike you down. Of all of those who are raising your hand, who would confess and admit that when there is a, an accident on the side of the road that you will slow down just a little bit to, to look. Keep your hand up, if you would say. Yeah, okay. You are the problem. It's your fault. I'm just kidding. I think my hand would probably be up too. I'm not gonna lie. yeah, because what is it? There's this instinct in us as, as human beings, right? To when, when we see something on the side of the road that's tragic, we look, we hurrah right? We, we give it our attention. So I have another question, and this time it's rhetorical. Don't raise your hand, but, but let me ask you. When you pull up to a red light and you see a homeless person right there beside your car, don't raise your hand, but, but who avoids eye contact. Who looks away? I would imagine if we were honest and we would raise our hands, uh, uh, that, that most, if not all of us in this room would say, at, at least once I've done that, right? So why, why is that? Why is it that we're drawn to tragedy in, in one scenario, in one case, and, the, and then in the other, it's like we're, we're repelled by it. We don't wanna look or be near it. There was a study done in 2011 that, that, that answers this question by some psychologists, and, and they said that the reason why, the difference between those two scenarios is cost. That when you're driving by a car accident, you know there's nothing you can do, right? The ambulance is already there. There's, it doesn't cost you anything. But when you see a homeless person on the side of the road, you feel a sense of cost, right? And so they did this study, they, they, they gave, um, put some people in a room and they gave them this material that, that described um, the, uh, the, these children and, and their scenario who have uh, been, become refugees because of the civil war in Darfur. And so in one room, it was just that, right? Just a, 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 a story of these children who, who suffered because of the civil war. And, and according to their research, the people in this room who had no expectation of them were visually disturbed, right? 
They, 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 they felt and they cared and, and, and there were indicators of their compassion. But in another room, same story, different group of people, except this time that they ask them or, or give them the expectation uh, that, that uh, we're gonna, you know, you, you can read through this and if you want, you can give. If you want, you can donate. And what they found was that those people in that, that room, as they read of the tragedy of these refugees, there was no sign of care or compassion on their face. Why is it? The difference was cost. And so as the priest walks on by, and, and, and the, the word looked, harao is used both for the priest and for the temple worker as the priest. And as the temple worker were walking on by, it's not as if they didn't have an instinct to look. It's not as if they didn't have an instinct to have compassion, but they sensed the cost. And because of it, they turned down the dial of their emotions. C.S. Lewis says, affection teaches us first to notice, then to endure, then to smile at, then to enjoy, and finally appreciate the people who happen to be there. The first step in affection love is hara'o, right, to notice, but the next is endure. The temple worker, the priest, they weren't willing to take that step. Again, that's us looking into their story. What if someone were to look in your story? Those same people on the margins of your story, your coworker, your brother, your sister, your barista, do, do, you, do you endure, right? Do you take that next step of compassion and care or do you ignore, right? When you see their need, when, when they're talking about, oh, uh, uh, I, I woke up late today or, or, or I, I missed the bus or, or maybe deeper things, right? Uh, 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 my mom is sick or, or uh, my dad has cancer. You understand and, and appreciate and you can hear and comprehend the need, but, but are you enduring? Are you taking steps to have compassion, right? Or, or, or do you just try to distance yourself, turn down the emotions so that you can just kind of get through the day, right? So what are the needs of those that you've noticed in your life and have you ignored instead of endured? The third uh, way that we know that Jesus is talking about affection, this basic instinctive kind of love in this story of the good Samaritan is in verse 33 where he says, then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. So the word compassion uh, in the Greek is this word up here. We're going to put it up because I'm not going to pronounce that. As I was doing my study, I was like, God, for real? Like, I can't say that in front of all these people, right? So you can try to pronounce that from your seat, uh, but, but that is the Greek word that's used in this text for compassion. My favorite thing is the, the phonetic spelling on the bottom as if that helps anyone, right? I, I can't even say that, right? So, but, but maybe it would help you to understand the meaning of this word, why, why it looks so ugly, right? The word compassion, its root, comes from a word that means inward parts, entrails, heart, lungs, liver, kidney, and my favorite, bowels. 
what? What does all of that have to do with compassion, right? The reason is this type of compassion that the Samaritan felt as he was walking along the road and saw this man on the side of the road, the kind of compassion he felt, it was gut level. It was visceral, right? It was a natural reaction to to the need that he saw on the side of the road. I love that Jesus uses this word compassion because it reminds us that that this word, what what the Samaritan did, it was just a bodily reaction, right? It, It wasn't anything spectacular. Compassion is not something to accomplish. It's a natural reaction to those in need. And so the Samaritan didn't have to work up anything. It was like someone punched him in the stomach. It was visceral. Something else interesting happens at this point of the story as Jesus is telling it. Something that, um, that we can't maybe fully grasp in our own cultural context, but there's a shift in, in a, in a uh, progression in Jesus is telling of the story. So in the beginning of the story, right, he says a priest walks uh, down the road and then a temple worker uh, and then a Samaritan. And for us, that doesn't uh, quite register. So if I were to tell the story, I might say a uh, uh, Pastor Fred, right, walked out of the sanctuary. We don't have a hierarchical system here at City Life, concentric circles, but still, he's in the center, right? We understand Pastor Fred is an important person And so it's as if I were to say, Pastor Fred walks out of the sanctuary. He's supposed to be this man of God, right? Represent, uh, uh, really talking you up, Pastor Fred, Uh, who we all should look up to. And he sees this man half beaten, naked on uh, the doorsteps of the church and, and continues walking, right? That's like what it would have felt like for them to hear it. And then Next step, next level in the concentric circle. Uh, instead of temple worker, maybe Chris House, right? Someone on leadership, someone uh, who has some authority in the church, right? He, he walks out of the doors and sees a man half uh, dead on the side of the road or in the parking lot and doesn't do anything about it. So two people you would think would do something. And so this is the progression. And so who would you think might be the next step in that progression, right? You have Pastor Fred, uh, Chris House, maybe, maybe you, maybe the person next to you. But Jesus skips quite a few steps and he uses the word Samaritan. It would have been as if I told that story and then I said a Muslim extremist walked out of the church, saw this man on the side of the road and helped him, had compassion. The word Samaritan was just as politically, ideologically, racially charged as our, our words, a Muslim extremist, right? They would have felt all of the, 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 the buzz and the, the negative energy around that word. So why does Jesus use it? I think for two reasons. The first is this, it forced the listeners to identify with the man in need. So they couldn't identify with the priest. He's up here, right? Couldn't identify with the temple assistant. And so they're thinking, okay, the next person is gonna be my guy, right? He's gonna be the stand-in for me. But he says Samaritan. 
and they definitely can't relate to him. So who's left? The Jewish man on the side of the road. The only person left in the story for them to identify with is the man in need. Why? Because true compassion only comes out of a revelation of your own need. Unless you allow yourself to identify with the needs of those around you, you won't have compassion. That's why it says love your neighbor as yourself, right? Can you put yourself in their shoes? I'm not talking about perfect empathy, right? I'm not talking about I've experienced this before and so I fully understand. I'm talking about can you imagine what it would be like to be on the side of the road in that condition? Could you put yourself in, in their shoes or at work? Can you imagine what it would be like to have a father with cancer or, 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 or a, you know, kids who are sick or even waking up late? Can you allow yourself to, to identify with their needs? I think so often the problem with our uh, compassion, the reason why it, even though it's instinctual and it should come natural to us, it's difficult, is because we won't allow ourselves to identify with the people in need. I'm better than that. I'm different than that. There's reasons why they're there and I'm here. And, and so we, we push them to the side and they're just the character in the margins of your story have nothing to do with you, Right? The lesson in this story is it doesn't take a super spiritual or rigidly religious person to love compassionately. All it takes is the willingness to identify with the person in need. I'm gonna invite the band to um, come up. And uh, gonna continue with the story, so two reasons why Jesus uses this word Samaritan. The first is, is, uh, is it forced the listeners to identify with the man in need. The second is to emphasize the how and not the who. Listen to this. This is how the story uh, continues. Jesus tells his story, right? And then, and then he turns to the man who asks the question and he says, now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man? who was attacked by bandits. When the man came to Jesus, he asks, who do I have to love like a neighbor? His neighbor was a, a passive recipient of love. But Jesus, <clears throat> Jesus makes the neighbor in the story an active giver of love. Why? Because he's taking the attention off the who and explaining the how. Right, putting the emphasis on the action. Verse 37, then the man replied uh, to Jesus's question, the one who showed him the mercy, that's the one who acted like the neighbor. What's interesting there is that he couldn't even say Samaritan. It was so culturally charged that, that the man wasn't even willing to say the Samaritan got it right. What happens? He has to describe him by his actions. And so he says, the man who showed him mercy. Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. The man came asking Jesus who, and Jesus answered by describing how, right? 
He asked about the object of love, but Jesus answers with the action. In order for us to love like Christ asks us to love, we've gotta stop asking who. We've gotta stop asking who's worthy, who's easy, who do I relate to, right? Who's the least risky person to give my time or my attention or my affection, to lend a listening ear at work when I, I don't have it? Who, you choose, you pick and choose who, right? You're willing to give your affection to, but Jesus says, no, in order for, for us to love, like he's asking us to love, we've gotta stop asking who and start asking how. How does what I have meet their need? How does who I am meet their need, right? Stop asking how or who and start asking how. We're gonna go back into a time of worship, but I just wanna invite you to stand up. Jesus. God, affection is described as the least discriminating of loves. Lord, help us to show affection, to show love to people in ways that are not discriminating. God, that, that we wouldn't be so focused on the who we should love. We wouldn't be so focused on the, the who we should give our time to do. Let's just assume, God, that you're asking us to love them all. And God, would you change our question from who to how? How can I love that person at work? How can I help this person in need, this stranger in the store that I don't even know? Rather than asking who, God, would you change our hearts? Help us in, what, in an area that we, we shouldn't even need help with. This, this easy kind of love called affection, would you help us, God, to love more? to show affection, Lord, in Jesus' name.